the 10pence arcade podcast is sponsored by Retro Games Party. Get out of emulation and into the arcade with Retro Games Party. Arcade game hire for public events and private parties. With three regular community-led meetings throughout the year, there ain't no party like a Retro Games Party. Visit their website at www.retrogamesparty.co.uk and get involved. The 10 Pence Arcade Podcast is a proud member of the Retro Junkies Network and Throwback Network. Hello, welcome to the 10 Pence Arcade Podcast. My name is Victor Marland, aka Vertvic. And I'm Sean Holly, aka In Your Face, Sean Holly. And this is a little bit of a special. None of the regular stuff we normally do. We're just doing a Turplan special. You've been waiting for it, you asked for it. Well, not really. They're getting it anyway. This is going to be 33.5, I think, Turplan special, planned by the excellent Mr. Sean Holly. Yes, how are you doing anyway? You're right. I'm okay, mate, yeah. We've had a good weekend so far. We've been down the hog yesterday. And up to the four quarters bar in the evening, and we had a wonderful time, didn't we? Mm, and we're now recording this together for a change. Yes, of, in the same room. Instead of 200 miles apart. Yeah, I can actually give you a proper in-your-face <laughs> physically. <Yeah>. Have it! <laughs> and we've been playing a little bit of Time Pilot in the garage earlier on a proper hardware. We're getting right into it, weren't we? Mm, the swears come out when I couldn't play very well, though. Yeah. So that wasn't so good. We might have another stint in there later on, I think, We as well. can do, we can do. Okay, then, tell us... Everything you know about Toa Plan. Right, Toa Plan. They were a Tokyo-based arcade development company, renowned for their shooters, which are called STGs in Japan. Uh, why STGs? Does that mean anything? Shooting game, I think. Okay. I think. I'm not sure. Okay, carry on. They had difficult gameplay, long levels, huge bosses, great graphics, and rousing music. That's the word, rousing. That's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, they're in business for 10 years, roughly 10, 11 years, 84 to 94. Um, most of this information I've found come from the two most talkative guys who've given the most interviews. Mm-hmm. A lot of them you just cannot find anything about them on the internet. Yeah, they seem to disappear, the yeah. Japanese developers. You've got your, your Miyamoto's and your, your Konami guy and all that sorts and the Pac-Man guy still, but these guys sort of get lost, really, mm. which is a bit of a shame because they're heroes of mine. Yeah. So Geniuses. The, is, is. Mm. the two main guys, right, Tatsuya Uemura, a Masahiro Yuge. Yuge? Mm-hmm. I think you've pronounced that perfectly. Yuge. We hope. Sorry if it isn't. So most of the this information and the little sound bites from them, they come from interviews that I've found from about 89 to 2012. Um, I've found bits from other employees. Mm-hmm. And if I quote one of those, I shall tell you. Okay. Right, we start off with a company called Orca in 1981. Way back. That's good, that. I like that. Orca manufactured PCBs. They didn't make any cabs, and they made a few games from 81 to 83. Nothing really memorable. Espile. I've got that. I've actually got that Orca board, I think. Mm. River Patrol. Springer. Springer. No quarter did Springer. Yeah, they did. It was a bit of an odd game, wasn't it? They didn't like it. That's the one the Broken Token guy sent them the marquee and the control panel to take the mick a little bit. I thought it was quite good. Skylancer. Sounds good. Mm. It's not. It's not Sky Cursor, is it? No. Fortunately, and one called Changes. 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 Sorry, you're in the singing mood, aren't you? I'm a bit singy songy this morning. This Sorry, everyone. The- if I burst into song, I apologise. <laughs> 
Orca, they actually went bust in 1983 while they were making a game called Vastar. Uh-oh. Um, they released it under another alias called Sesame. That'll work. I think that could be for legal reasons, because they had gone bust. Ah, okay. Orca members formed another company called Crux, C-R-U-X, Crux. Hmm? And they made a game called Gyrodyne or Gyrodine. That sounds good as well. In in July 84, and it was a helicopter shoot-em-up. Uh-huh. And they gave it to Taito. Yeah. Taito licensed it. And they made another game called Repulse in 85, which is like a 3D kind of shoot-em-up thing for Sega. Okay. You might know it as Son of Phoenix. You not know this game. Not Son of Phoenix. I do like a bit of Phoenix. Yeah, I think they copied Phoenix. They didn't copy the game. I think they stole the name to give it a bit of... Oh, yeah, a bit, bit of, of cool. Yeah, yeah. Or the 99, The Last War. That was a bootleg of it. Yeah, I see that at the start of MAME because it's um, apostrophe 99. It's always at the start of lists. Mm. So, yeah, I've seen that a bit. So, Crux also went bust while Repulse was in production. So that was finished under another name. There's a bit of a theme going on here, isn't there? I don't know what happened, but... um, They're finding their feet. Kyugo, they released that as not as Crux. Okay. When it went to Sega. In the meantime, right, there's a company called Toa Kikaku, and they were looking for a software division. So people from Orca and Crux joined Toa Kikaku. Mm, Sounding familiar. And they changed the name to Toa Plan. Yep. Kikaku means plan in Japanese anyway. Ooh. So the Toa Plan name, rough, well, roughly translates to East Asia Ambition, East Asia Project, Toa okay. Plan. Right, you've got, I'm just going to mention the six original members and then not anymore because there's so many Japanese names. Yeah. The president, Yoshiyuki Kiyomoto. Well done. He was president and he retired in 92. One of the main men, the founder, Kenichi Takano. The two guys we're going to mention a lot, Masahiro Yuge. They did everything, these two guys, a musician, the designers, the programmers, and the other guy, Tatsuya Uemura, we were going to mention, he joined in 1985 after finishing Repulse for Crux. Okay. So he joined like a year later, well, half a year later. Another guy, Toshiaki Ota, he did the music, and Yuichiro Nozawa, very important, he did some of the great graphics. Hmm. Right, now I'm going to run through the Toa Plan games in chronological order. All 568,000 yes. of them. It took a lot of floopy disks. A lot of floopy disks for that information. Through this. We are recording on a Commodore 64 at the moment. Yes. So please forgive the uh, sound quality, people. <laughs> 8-bit sound. First two games they did, they were released in Japan only, I would think. Must be, really. Two yeah. Mahjong games. Mahjong King in 84 and Mahjong Mania. Because only... People from the East can play Mahjong. Yeah. Nobody knows how to play it. It's impossible. It's just dominoes that's gone wrong. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> I do know one guy who's really good at it, and he was going to show me how to play it, but it's, it's quite complicated. But I think it's... When you learn how to play Mahjong, it's a very, very good game. Mm. But it takes quite a bit to get into it, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I haven't got time. Sorry. First one, Mahjong King was licensed to SNK. The other one, Mahjong Mania, was licensed to Data East. Mm. SNK is a similar company to Toaplan is they first started off doing a few bootlegs and copies and they were finding their feet and then they turned into the mighty SNK, which made Neo Geo. And they just mm. went berserk then. SNK Playmore, now or have they gone bust? I think they're gone as well now, oh, unfortunately. Dear. But they did well for a lot of years. Mm. 
Right, what these these Mahjong games are actually a copy of someone else's Mahjong game. Well, that is cheap, isn't it? I know, and they put their own pictures on, so they copied the code. Oh, that is naughty. So you can't really count them as Toa Plant originals, really, can We'll forgive you? that, yeah, yeah, we'll forgive that. So the first original game is April 85, called Performan, and it's like a maze game. It's licensed to Data East. It's a side-on, single-screen shmup. Robots descend from the top of the screen, shoot them or detonate mines near them. Standard gameplay is given extra dimension by the ability to burrow underground to get out of trouble. So it's kind of like a tank yep. game, but you can go under the ground. I had a quick go at this the other day. So yep. I, was, I was looking through the list you gave me, and I put them on, on the machine in the in the garage to play, just the Turplan games. I had a quick go at Performer, and it looks quite fun. It sort of reminds me of a game on the PC Engine. can't remember. All the name and also a bit of Bomberman. Uh, it's a bit of everything, but it was mm. quite early game, and it seems it looks quite a good little game, but incredibly difficult off the bat. Mm. As soon as you start, yeah. everything comes towards you. I was dead in like ten seconds. Like oh my god! But the actual gameplay, if you play it a bit more, it does look really good. I think this is where they're starting to get good already. Yeah, eighty five. Yeah, so it's licensed to Data East. Most people think that the game that came after this, Tiger Heli, was the first Toa Plan game because Data East wouldn't allow Toa Plan to say that Purple Man was a Toa Plan game. It was many uh, years okay. later when they said, look, yeah, Toa Plan did make this. Yeah. So everyone thinks Tiger Heli is the first game which came out in 1985, October. Licensed Taito. It was the first vertical shooter. Can we do a hallelujah? Hallelujah! Thank you. That's better than you mine. You can put that in. <laughs> I'll leave that in. <laughs> and it features a helicopter, because that's Tiger Heli. Helicopters. Yeah. Shooting stuff in fierce for the first time. With two bullets. Yeah, two bullets. And it's the standard graphics. Actually, it's not the standard graphics. It's a bit weird, the graphics. Oh, okay. But they're, some of them have got like a kind of polygonal. Polygonal? Polygonal. Polygonal. Yeah. Yeah, that one. It's got a kind of feel that... So the guys say, actually, around this time we were doing research for a flight simulator program we might develop. So Boring! The, so the graphics came from that, from this flight simulator. Okay. And they never actually finished it, even good. right until the end of Toa Plan, they never finished the flight simulator. The flight simulators in the arcade don't work. Come mm. on, they don't. You want to shoot no. stuff and bomb stuff and fly around. You don't want to be getting your landing gear out and that. Did you ever play that prop cycle? No. With, it, with the pedals? Oh, really? Yeah. It no. was, you, you pedaled, it were like... Pilot wings, yeah, but you pedalled on a bike. That's mad. And you go through all these. I, I, I recall it now, but I don't think I've ever seen it or played it. Yeah, sounds quite fun though. Mm. On take a heli, right? Is deliberately slow helicopter movement. They did this deliberately, and Uemura says it's for memorizer purposes. And this is what he says about the term memorizer. Okay, I think the term memorizer is used today somewhat negatively, but I emphasised it, and I wanted player to do well. By playing through and discovering all the strategic patterns in the game, memorising the patterns, this is very important to how they develop the games. Yeah. The first two guys, Yuge and Yuamura. Yeah. They seemed very deliberate in what they did. It wasn't just a a fact that if you did this, this, and this, it would work out. They did it on purpose for Mm. you to do this, this, and this, and have it work out. Yeah. Which is, yeah, interesting. Game four of 976 is called Guardian, or Get Started from Japan in March 86. Licensed to Taito Kitcore. It was a horizontal, it was a bonkers horizontal beat-em-up, which was weird. It's kind of like Kung Fu Master. You ran from left to right, beating the bejesus out of space creatures. When, when you say bonkers, there's another word that sounds like that that this game is. 
<laughs> it's it's just rubbish. Yeah. It's a terrible game. It's really clunky. Mm. It's one of the ones you laugh at. It's quite funny that they made a good game like Tiger Heli, which people still you know, remember. They yeah. remember and try and it's quite an expensive board to get hold of, I think. And then they made Get Star the next year. It's just like going backwards. What's wrong with them? The artist on it, Koetsu Iwabuchi, he said he loves STG shooting games, but I really like Get Star. I was disappointed when it didn't do well. There's a reason it didn't. There's a reason for that. It's poo. Yeah. Varied graphics. I quite like the, some of the graphics. Yeah, I think they're clunky. It sort of reminds me of those old, um, the Japanese monster films. You know, when people were dressed up as a, as a, a big Godzilla or something. Yeah. They, they do look a yeah. bit like that. They're all clunky and a bit rubbish. You know, we sort of laugh at them when you watch them on mm. TV. I had weird power-ups for punching and kicking as well. You could get like an auto-fire kick. Okay. Weird. But it was, um, it was 1986. So I was just finding the feet. Next one, they've gone back, they've gone all Mahjong again. 1986, May. Self-published Mahjong, Japan only, uh, with a bit of stripping in it. Filth! I had no idea that winning at Mahjong would make ladies take the clothes off. Why did I not know this when I was 18? You'd have learnt Mahjong. Yeah, I would have been great I at don't Mahjong. think it does. <laughs> took took me Mahjong you. set down the golden line. Yeah. Right, ladies! <laughs> it's that weirdo with them dominoes again. Get out, <laughs> you bard. The code was based on, but not ripped off from, okay. the previous two Mahjong games. Which were ripped off. Yeah, they were ripped mm-hmm. off. Okay. Sort of third-hand rubbish code. We're now on to the, the good shoot em up Now you're period. talking. Now Al- you're talking. Alcon slash Slap Fight, December yes. 1986. Licensed to Taito again. We'll talk about that a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, Alcon stands for the Allied League of Cosmic Nations. No one knows why. That's just what they call Cosmic it. Nations. Cosmic Nations on the Ten Pence Arcade Podding Casting. Yes. Sorry. Right. It's a vertical shooter, but the Gradius style weapon power up system. If Konami were upset about it, they didn't mention it. There was no nothing legal that ever happened. So I think well, it's were, very different. They're quite lucky, I think, because it's quite similar. Yeah, but power ups in, in these games are a standard, weren't they? They're a staple. Mm, not at this time. Eighty six. Well, mm-hmm. actually, no. Forget that bit. I'll edit that bit out. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of a future, a semi-futuristic shooter from the year 2059. Loads of hidden features and secrets, but designed to be played without knowing any of them. Mm-hmm. Right, you and more assess. We were very particular about the details of our games. We had this concept for a game that featured the idea of secrets, so we put many secrets in Slap Fight. We even put the Space Invaders secret in, which I've never found, by the way, oh. as a secret homage to Taito. I don't know what that secret is. It'd be a little invader that appears. Interesting. As well. Yeah. We aimed for a kind of game in which, when a player died and wondered what killed him, he would be able to say to himself, next time I should do this. Yeah, don't get hit by massive bullet. Yeah. In that regard, I think we learned a lot from Xevious. In Xevious, the speed of the game was designed such that the players had to devise all these plans, like moving their ship to a certain point when the screen had scrolled just so far. Things like that really taught us a lot, but we also thought of ways to get rid of the impatience inherent to the slow pacing of that game. Mm. We livened things up with added bombs, rather than making everything just to be precise about aimed shots. Tiger Heli, by the way, was the first game to feature that that smart bomb. Ah. And they used it. A second button bomb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They used it to be an aggressive attack, but people used it to save themselves. Yeah, I normally do. Yeah. Ah! Panic that, button. That was the first time that that was used, actually. Well, Alcon and Slap Fight is a game I still play now. It's, mm. it's rock hard. 
but it, it's fun. And it does start off quite slow pace because you, it's one of the games, like you said, with the Konami games, you get a speed up at the start. And if you get more than about two speed ups, you're going around like a maniac and you yeah. can't control the things. So you've got to be careful and keep an eye on your, your bullet, your, your weapons down the bottom. And there's loads of bolt on. It sort of bolts bits on your ships. So you've got side shots and long shots and homing missiles. It's, it's real fun. You know the cheat at the start? It's where you don't shoot, remind me? Yeah, you don't do anything at the start. Just dodge as long as you can for, say, half a minute and yeah. get killed. And you respawn with all the, not all the weapons, a, a good powered up ship. Ah. With lots of the bolt-ons and... If we do that game, you're not allowed to do that. I got quite a long way on that the other week doing that. Although the game was hard, it was fair. Yeah, a, I'd say that. A feature implemented in, in this game and carried on to a few of the others was that when ground enemies, when you got close to them, you're flying over, mm-hmm. flying over them, they would not shoot you. Yeah, because you don't see the bullet until you're mm-hmm. dead. What hit me? You know, That's something very flying fair. underneath I've you. tested it. It works. It works on Truxton and, and some of the... Oh, okay. ...biplane games as well. Cool. Talking, Talking about flight planes. Oh, that was clever. Yes. I have to try and do more of them. Flying Shark stroke Sky Shark in the US at stroke Haijo Sume. Well done. Is it was right? always Flying Shark for me because I had this on the Spectrum. Mm. March 87, this one. It's a good one. Taito again. A competent biplane World War II shooter with weapon power-ups and the now obligatory... It's mega a mega bomb. Mega bomb. Flying over land and sea installations, lots of boats. Far too many boats. Than Odd that in the sea. Yeah, well, boats in sea. You want you want tanks in the sea. Yeah. <laughs> the theme was inspired by the film Apocalypse Now and a company trip to Thailand. I don't know what they did on that trip. I'll talk about their company lifestyle later on. They were bonkers, right? Fair enough. Mm. They upgraded the hardware in-house. This is the first time they did it. To a 16-bit MC, 68,000 CPU. 68K, yeah. That's an what FM came, sound. That's what came in stuff like the Amiga and things like that, mm. 68, uh, 16-bit. That's when things start getting fun. And they say, because we could now put more sprites on screen, we suddenly had a lot more possibilities regarding the game system and what we could express. Whenever hardware was going to be upgraded, Plan would ask the opinion of the programmers, and we noted that most of our, ga- our games were vertical shooters... So we chose the hardware on that premise. Having more elements on the screen really opened things up for us. Mm, absolutely. Toaplan were a relatively small company and didn't have much free capital as other companies did. So Yuge says, We always wanted to use new things, i.e. hardware, as quickly as possible, but due to the budget and other business considerations, we didn't make any, well, too many demands about it. But we also realised that if we fell behind other companies too far, that would be bad for Toaplan in its own way. So our timing was such that when we finally couldn't wait any longer, we'd switch to the new hardware. This is a theme that continues all the way through their existence, really. Yeah. So they'd switch to the hardware later on than other people. It's probably a good idea because then they can iron out the bugs and limitations and workarounds. Mm-hmm. It's like when whenever you get some new software, the first version is rubbish because they're always still adding to it. It's only when they sort of fixed a load of bugs and problems, then it gets good. That's probably a good idea. They weren't losing money on the hardware and time working things out. They came a little bit late to the game and got the best out of it. Good plan. They were doing, still doing FM sound and companies like Atari were using PCM sound because they could use samples, like proper percussion samples in guitars. And voices and things. And they were two years behind at that point. Oh, right. Before they went on to using um, PCM sound. I like, I like MIDI sounds great. Yeah, it is good, isn't it? Toaplan produced its own hardware, so if there were chips left in stock, they had to use them up before getting to use the new chips. I'll talk about that a bit later on yeah. as well. 
like sound chips they had to use in a load of old sound chips on one of the later games. Yeah. The next game, Twin Cobra. Are you ready for this? Go. Kuyu Kuyoku Tiger. Well done. Yeah. Toa Plan likes to use kanji in their game titles, i.e. Kuyu Kuyoku Tiger. So kanji is like Japanese pronunciation. The adopted logographic Chinese characters are used in it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a writing system. I had to look this up, what kanji was, you know. I suppose you know what it was. It's the one that's very difficult to work out if you're trying to read Japanese. Um, and they, they, the Japanese mix uh, hiragana and romaji and kanji all together. I think there's four different ways of speaking and writing. So it's, yeah, it's difficult. My word. Yeah. It's a kuyukiyoku. Yeah, at the time it wasn't that popular of a word yet. Nosuke's about 25 characters long. <laughs> doesn't really roll off the tongue that easy, does it? It came from the Japanese translation of the Yes album, Going for the One. So okay. He was into the band Yes. Prog rock. Which I was determined to use somewhere in a game title. <laughs> when we first presented this title, Kuyukiyoku Tiger to the President, he rejected it. What the hell is that, was his reaction, and he laughed. We explained to him that Kuyukiyoku can be translated as ultimate, Ultimate means you pilot a ship with firepower, firepower that's never been seen before in an STG. So it is the ultimate tiger, and that's how they sold it to the president. Mm, and he fell for that, did he? Yep. And they, they only cared about it. They only wanted tough-sounding games, so that's why they used it. Urgh. It's better than Twin Cobra, isn't it? What is Twin Cobra? It's a, it's a snake with two heads. Yeah. Big bonkers heads. Yeah. This one's licensed to t- Taito and Romstar. Yeah. And it was their best-selling game ever. It is a good one. Mm. It's a classic. There was a lot of bootlegs of it because the copy protection wasn't that good. Mm. Yeah, that I quite like that. Not for the good of the company, but when they don't bother mucking about with copy protection, but they, they keep all their focus on the game, wins every time, doesn't yeah. it? I don't care mm. about... Well, obviously they do, but I don't. It was inspired by Taito's invigorating Helly's Comet. Ah, okay. I like that game. Twin Cobra is a polished shooter. Four colour-coded weapons are used in this. Mm. I don't remember seeing that before this time. There must there must have been somewhere. Yeah. You've got the side shots and you've got a few other good weapons. Again, it had a helicopter theme, which is um, slow-moving, pick your way through the battle. You yeah. Know? Uh, you know the way the items in Kuyukiyoku Tiger swirl around the screen? One day when I was on his, on his lunch break, this is Yuge, I saw a zigzag pattern in my Donburi Raymond and thought, this is it, and hurried back to the office to code that pattern in for the items. It's ramen. <laughs> ramen, is it? Noodles. Uh-oh. I like a bit of ramen, me. Slow movement. This is a bit about the slow movement in the games. Uh, Uemura, that was his idea. Well, you could say the shooting games I like to make are closer to puzzle games that require a strategy. They made it so you can't just go where you want, but are required to take a specific route through the level or you can't continue. At the time, shooting games were a genre that salarymen, they call salarymen, could enjoy without putting too much thought into. I think he means guys on the way home from work. Yeah. Having a quick go. Pop the old suitcase down by the side, mm. 100 yen bit in, hour later when they're finished, off again. I did that, yeah. Suitcase yen. Yeah. Didn't we all? <laughs> Yeah, but for the diehards, they were memoriser games. I wanted to make something that only people that memorised a certain path could play. Not us, then. And he now goes on to talk about something that's very important to him, not all Toa Plan programmers, but to Uemura. So it's most of the early game, because him and Yuge was just... Then I think they almost ran the company, them two. Yeah. 
the the programming, the level, the design, the graphics, the music, everything. Made the green tea. Yep. Lovely, lovely tea. And it's on about recovery patterns. During development, I played the games a lot, especially for recovery patterns, since you can't make something you can't recover from. I'd play it over and over to myself and finally move on when I realised recovery was possible. The shooting game I envisioned is over when you don't return to a checkpoint after a miss because you are no longer creating a pattern. Ah. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, we do a bit of that. Mm. You know, for some of the shooters we were playing earlier, we were playing Volgus again. You get out of the way of stuff and go and grab things around the screen, but always try and re- remain down the bottom. Yeah. So you've got more of a play field to look at. Yeah. So if you're stuck up the top, you've not got a lot, and things can go behind you, which you cannot shoot. So getting back to the original recovery place, yeah. So I think that's got to keep doing that now, even. So it played his twin Cobra. Mm-hmm. It'd lose all his weapons, go back to the default weapons, and then try and get out of every situation. That's how oh, right. they tested it. That is... Uh, Pretty difficult to do, and I'm just taking ages playtesting it. But they did it for a lot of them, even trucks, and right up to trucks. Well, that's why the games are so good, because they're yeah. so well produced. Right, this is the first game to have two players simultaneous play, Twin Cobra, that they did, because it was a big hit with the Western players, and yeah. Taito encouraged them to put it in, so they did. They didn't always do what Taito said, but this time they did. Hmm. Taito requested two players simultaneous play. Originally in the overseas versions, you don't return to a checkpoint when you died, you just carry on. Yeah. You don't go back. I think in Truxton they started putting that back in where you went to a checkpoint when you died. Yeah, that's fair enough. So they made it easier for us Westerners. It's it's quite rewarding when you get to that next checkpoint. You know, if you get killed, you're not going to go back all the way. Mm. The players in that time in America are always playing in a somewhat drunken fashion, not making strategies or plans. <laughs> not Americans. Yes, bad. Bad Americans. We couldn't ignore them, the Western gamers, but as developers, we focused more on games in Japan. The player in Japan and the players overseas had completely different ways of playing, and what they looked for in games were different as well. Taito America would give us ideas about overseas, the overseas market. Yuge, he chips in and says, overseas audience that have been a target ever since we started making arcade games. A bit of a contradiction there. 70% of our sales were from overseas. They asked Taito for a bit of information on the Western games. Right, the next game we're talking about is called Wardner, or Pyros in the US, or Wardner No More in Japan, December 87. Yeah. This is another weird one. Horizontal platform beat-em-up. Similarities, really, to Ghosts and Goblins, and it had a level map at the bottom like Ghosts and Goblins. It had quite a few platforming elements. It had a sort of a magic shop that you could go to after each level and buy stuff. I still go to that shop, actually. Yeah. It's brilliant. Magic. Nice bread. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Swords are amazing. Life of bread, milk and that. Had fairies with cloaks and stuff. Fairies with cloaks? Fairies and cloaks. Uh, well, fairies in cloaks. They're quite swish fairies, mm. I think. Nice. Um, yeah, good, good, good it, fairies. Nice graphics again. The second level's a bit weird. It's like an industrial factory thing, which which sort of detracts from the medieval theme, but there you go. That is a bit odd. Yeah. It's quite a popular game, Wardner. I mean, people are still after it now. You know, collectors are... Yeah? Yeah, it's a good game. Ewan Morris says, We thought we couldn't just make shooting games. We had to make something else. Well, they do nowadays. <laughs> yeah. The guy that made it, Etasuro Wada, he liked wizardry. Yep, that makes Wizardry, sense. Wizardry, Dungeons and Dragons, so that's what he put into the game. Yeah. So the two main guys didn't have much to do with that one. It's quite a variant, isn't it? Going from vertical shooters to horizontal 
platformer, quite a bit different. Mm. Obviously, decent programmers because they did a good job of it. Yeah, it's quite a polished game. I like it. It's, yeah, it's nice. Tough again, really tough. Mm. And I watched a YouTube video. Some guy got through it the whole game in fourteen minutes. Oh my lord! But to get that good, he must have put like fourteen months into it because <laughs> it's very, so, yeah. very tricky. Absolutely. The next game, nineteen eighty-eight, Fighting Hawk. It's another aircraft shoot 'em up. Mm-hmm. They've got faster craft now. They're speeding up the craft. Power ups as well increased from two to five bullets in this game. It's quite a good feeling when you get all five bullets. And it's your now standard land, sea, boats, tanks, aircraft setup. Yeah, it's common, isn't it? Yeah, which uh, quite a few other companies were doing the same sort of thing now, around about this time, kind of World War Two aircraft shoot 'em up. Nineteen forty two. That's oh, a good yes. I've heard that's quite good. Oh, yes. Mm. Licensed to Taito yet again, a relationship that started way back with Gyrodine. Yep. With Crux. After a while, our relationship with Taito became fixed. There was a time when having a Taito handle the distribution was pretty much a known premise of the development. It was pretty much normal stuff. Someone from Taito would show up one day and would take them out to dinner and so forth. It was that easy. They'd just say, we've got a game, do you want it? Yeah. Yes, please. Taito didn't do quality or bug checks, they just trusted Toplan, which is unheard of nowadays. Absolutely. Oh, no chance now. Taito only handled a distribution. We used our own money for the development, and they very rarely told us what to do. When they did, and if one of us objected to their requests, we just didn't do it. That's fair enough. Yeah, they must have been trusted. Yeah, 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 we'll do it. Yeah, no problem. No, don't bother. Next one, we're coming up to now, uh, we're halfway through 1988, a very good year. A vintage. Yeah, it's one of vintage. my... One of my... I was 18, I was pubbing and clubbing. Wow. Mm, it was great. You star, you. Mm. Rally Bike Dash Yaru, mm-hmm. May 1988, licensed to Taito. Overhead motorbike racer, this is. Yeah. To me, it's really a dodging shooter but without bullets. You, you can treat it that way, really. It looks like a polished version of Travis USA, or Zippy mm. Race, an older game. Mm. looks exactly like it, nicer graphics. You've got um, a fuel level and you've got a gas up. Yeah. Gas up? Fuel up. I was quite gassy earlier. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like Traverse USA Road Fighter, Battle Lane, that kind of overhead racer kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Next we come to one of my favourites. This is where they really found their feet, I think. Mm. Trucks done or Tatsujin. October 88. The golden age for me of Toa Plan started here. Sold well in Japan, not so well in other places, which I didn't know. The dream team of Yuge and Uemura split up for this one for the first time. Oh. So Uemura did Hellfire, while Yuge on this one was doing Truxton. Ah, okay. This was their first, I think, true science fiction game, and it went back to the single-player-only model. I know Taito liked, liked them to do the two-player simultaneous thing, but they felt it would detract from the lone shooting yeah. premise of this game. That's a big thing. Our friends that's doing the Sky Cursor game, I asked them if there's going to be a two-player simultaneous game. They said, no, no, the story, the backstory only to the lone fighter. Mm. So they've sort of stuck with that. So you are on your own playing it, which is yeah. fine. I do like that. And this game addresses some of the fans' complaints about starting with a weedy weapon. Because this is a pretty decent weapon you start with. like a three-split bullet thing. Yeah. yeah it's not bad. Yeah, so this game they had uh, the speeding power-ups, mm-hmm. and but with the speeding power-ups, you also got the faster enemy attacks. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Well, so it, it sped the enemies up as well as you. Cool. Yeah, and some genius, Noaki Ogiwara, did the graphics. 
His designs gave us a lot of inspiration. He was just coming up with all these weird enemy character designs and would see them and get ideas like, oh, we should have, he should move like this, or, oh, this guy is round, so when he stops, let's make him spin around. It was really quite inspiring. Yeah. This is you get again. I wanted to make a game where the more you remembered, the better you would become. This is the recurring theme. The pattern thing. Yeah. 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 I focused on addressing a lot of sections where you needed a specific weapon to deal with certain attacks. So specific weapons to get through different areas of the game. That's carried on for most games nowadays, Mm. isn't it? One day when I was half asleep, I bumped my head and woke up from a dream I was having with a laser in it. So I really wanted to add this laser to the game. We succeeded in bringing that laser to life and players were surprised by it. That massive blue laser thing. Yeah. Really impressive at the time. It's huge. It's a huge laser. When we started making the game, the laser was the first thing I created. I added it thinking it would be the main weapon in the game. And when they did a cocktail version of it, the effect of the blue laser shining as the guy was looking over the cocktail table was amazing, they said. That's nice. I like that. So I I thought cocktail tables had died out by 1988, you know. Uh, In Japan, they're massive. You still see them nowadays. They, They like to sit down and play. Yeah. I think with shooters as well, the, the, the lower or flatter down the angle of the screen, you can see up the level more. Cause when mm. you, when, when you play, there's certain machines I've played before, like an electrical and spectrum machine, and it's very sort of flat in your face, mm. and it's very difficult to, you've got to sort of look back so close to a big screen, you, you can't see the whole screen of where all the bullets are coming from. So when it's laid down flat, it's better for shooters, I think. There's a candy cap called the, uh, Jalico Pony 3. Yeah. And it's a small machine, but it's really low down. It's got a very slight angle to the screen, and they're great for shooters. Right. Yeah. Excellent. The skull bomb Ogiwara designed was also very cool and impressive. The truth is, we're thinking about redesigning all of the enemy placements for the second loop, but the idea was never realised, which is too bad, so they're going to redesign everything after you completed it. Wow. But they never did. That would be the game again, though, wouldn't it? That'd be a lot of production to do that. We were trying to pursue the simple thrill of shooting and dodging, so we settled on the simple shot and bomb system. Mm-hmm. No weird Gradius-style power-ups here. Yeah. When you fire that bomb, I think it helps to relieve stress. Do you like firing bombs to relieve stress? Yeah. I do, yeah. Just yeah. lob a few grenades in the field. It's great. We better not put that bit in. It's, it's like a terrorist thing, isn't it? No. No. It's only a field and a couple of grenades. And cows. Between friends. Blow up cows. No, don't, kids. You're talking about beef murder there. <laughs> yes, I am. You'll be working for McDonald's next. <laughs> yeah. For Tatsujin, at first we were going to try a bunch of different things like in Slap Fight, but we thought that the main selling point was the Tatsujin laser, so we kept it simple. Mm-hmm. Right, now I'm going to talk about game difficulty, because everyone says that Toa Plan games are too hard. They are difficult. And this is what Ewan Mora says about it, right? Because Truck's done is hard. Hmm. Yeah. In order to make games more and more exciting and wild, we have to start inflating the weapons as well. I think that we did create a more user-friendly game to keep the game balanced, but it also made it tougher. Mm. The games turned out to be quite difficult, but we didn't design them that way. The foundation of our design was to make a game that wasn't overly complex, that anyone could clear, though gradually everything started to be made more and more difficult for the hardcore players. In the end, we sort of hung ourselves with, the own, with our own rope, yeah. getting too difficult. Yeah, but when, I remember when, when I used to go to the arcade when I was sort of a, a young teenager and stuff back in the day, and you, you come across a game like this, like a turplan game, which I never really remembered when I was a kid, and 
you'd just be blown away by all the explosions and all the madness going on screen and you wouldn't care if it was hard because you mm. would try and get a bit better at it and you'd get a bit of street cred if you could do like five levels of a game or something. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think making them harder was really detrimental at all. Not now it's not, but if if you put 10p in back then and you kept getting killed, you go and put 10p in something you were good at, wouldn't you? Yeah, if you want, if you didn't have a pound on you. Yeah. If you just had 10p left over, you put something in a game, you'd have a... Pound you know, notes. Do you remember pound notes? I remember pound notes. Oh, awesome. Machines didn't have them. Mm. You could roll that pound note up and it wouldn't go in the coin slot. It wouldn't work. <laughs> so they used to test all the games in, in a place called the Midori Game Center in Meguro in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So if someone was doing really well, like on Truxton, yeah. and one CC'd it, they'd up the difficulty. We're not having that. So In Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> so the games would just end up really difficult by the time they released them. Which is a bit unfortunate because mainly Japanese players are better than us anyway. That's silly Westerners. Yeah. Because they're, they're much more, um, they, they, I think their concentration and they're more into games and I think they practice harder as well. You know, and they're, they're, they're very, yeah, just really good games players, I think. They also had pressure from the management to make the games more difficult because they were told to make one credit for three minutes play. That was a philosophy. That was a standard, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, in, but in all the arcade, that. I think two to three minutes was, You've had your 25 cents or your, your 10p off. Yeah. You know. And they said, you can't make interesting games like that. We fought about that a lot. We had to accommodate our work in this sales business perspective. Mm, we like that. So they had to make a game that would, in short, build an income. And they regret some of the difficulty in these games, you know, now. Yeah. And they also said that they didn't want to make their games end when you completed them because someone had put so much effort in to finish it so yeah, they, so it's they, a bit they, of an anti-climax, isn't it? Sometimes when you get to a game and it just says, there's a nice picture, congratulations, you won. And then yeah. maybe they roll the credits. But, you know, if you sort of get that and you start again, at least you're getting your money's worth. Mm. You, because most people, when you, when you complete a game, unless you're going for a world record, if you're just in the arcade and you manage to complete a game, yay! Yeah. You don't want to do it again. Oh, well, I'll leave it now. Mm. <laughs> Someone else can play. So, they, yeah, they used to loop the games and start again on level two because they thought level one was too easy. They said it's kind of like a reward to the player. Yeah. It's nice. They've mastered the difficulty level, got through the game, yeah. and now they can do it again. It just gets slightly harder. Absolutely. We're now up to April 1989 for a game called Hellfire. Hellfire? This has got an interesting history, this. This is the first game that Taito allowed the words Toa Plan to appear on the title screen because they Taito at this time realised that Toa Plan have a shooting reputation. Yeah. Toa uh, Plan shooting reputation. I like that font as well. Which font? The Toapan font. Mm, it's nice, isn't it's it? awesome. Very it's 80s. Nice. Yeah, I like that. It's iconic now, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uemura was doing this as Yuge was doing Truckster. Right? Uh-huh. With Hellfire, I was specifically told to make something like Gradius. But actually, other than working it, making it horizontal, we didn't use the Gradius model at all. Horizontal shooting is totally different from vertical, and I had no idea to make a game like this. So I asked that there be an underlying puzzle element. And what they did, they made the game have four directional firing if you've played it. Ah, So you start off shooting normal. The second button changes the direction to up and down. I did have a go at this, yeah. Backwards. It's a bit of strategy Mm. because obviously when you get... When it starts scrolling in different directions, you get get enemies from different directions. You've got to whip that round quick. Mm. Almost like, in a way flipping a shape on Tetris to fit it in somewhere but you're mm. flipping your fire around to shoot something in a certain area yeah. it's interesting it does it does take a totally different spin on a game 
There's a cro- there's one that fires in like a cross, an X yes, shape as well. Diagonally, yeah. But this one, just looking at the little screenshot you've got on our notes here, it does straight away look to me like salamander when you get the lasers and you get the different, you know, the the yeah. the uh, little familiars that follow you around, the options. Mm. It does a lot of that. So yeah, I suppose it does look a little bit like uh, Gradius or, or one of the follow-ups. So when they're on about horizontal shooters. I think the horizontal STG requires a different kind of appeal. You need the technical know-how for dealing with the terrain and various other different game elements. We are inexperienced with this, and we were finding it a real struggle, but we did our best and finished it. Uemura says he really doesn't like horizontal shooters, but came but came up with something anyway. Right, next one. Twin Hawk Daizenpu. June 89. Licensed title again. Another nice polished airplane shooter. I think he looks like a Spitfire, that little shooty guy, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, little Spitfire. Shooting bomb button gives a fleet of six companion fighters, which is quite good, and they stay on the screen until they get killed, so you can yeah. keep a couple of them alive for a bit. Mm. It's very decent of you. Yeah. Yeah. You monster. <laughs> this is the first time Taito asked him to use a certain hardware, which was Taito's own System X hardware, and the game does have a slightly different look than the others, and music. I actually like this music on this. It reminds me of F-Zero, some of it. Oh, okay. F-Zero That's on the snows. Mm. How long was that? This is the first and only time Taito had asked him to use some specific hardware. All the rest, Teleplan just did the game and took them to Taito. Yeah. So they are, have it, have it. Next one, Zero Wing. September 1989, the second horizontal shooter that they did. This has got a nice space theme. At this point, right, the frequency of their releases increases. Oh. That's good, don't it? I like that. Previous fine, development like times, they were just like one team, took them six months. Now they've got two or three teams taking six months. Only six months? That's yeah. not a lot of time to make no. a good game like this, isn't it? Yeah. Even the console games had that sort of time back in those days as well. Yeah, they, they set brilliant. themselves strict deadlines, despite their manic company style, which we'll get onto. Zero Wing was based on the Hellfire engine. This title was created as a training product project for our new hires. At that time, we didn't have any plans to release it commercially, but the decision to release it commercially made it a much more practical learning experience for the new developers. I think, on the other hand, the stage design and characters were rather cobbled together. So the world was kind of a mess, I reckon. But people like Zero Wing. I like it. I had a go of it yesterday. I think quite a good little game. I played it quite a bit on Mega Drive, this. Yeah. Mm. It was soon Mega Drive down to the ground, I think. Yeah. We stopped doing horizontal sh- horizontal shooters after that. I think we realised we just didn't know enough how to make a shooter like this interesting. Later we were told by many users that they really liked Zero Wing, though. But to be honest, I don't know why they liked it. Well, the creators are obviously the biggest critics as well, mm. which is good to keep them good. Pipiru, the Teleplan mascot, appears in this game. Okay. Do you know the little little round guy? Have you seen him? I don't think I have. Oh, he's like a, he looks like a little. Uh, you know the guy from Dizzy? An egg. An egg. Yeah, it looks a bit like that. A little egg man. Aye. Nice. He also appears in Truxton 2 and Outzone. Oh, the mighty Outzone. Our designer, Naoki Ogiwara, created him, but I don't think he was planned in advance. He just was playing around with the guy, I think. Right, This the Mega Drive port of this has the very famous internet meme... Ah, yes. Very bad English. All your base are belong to us. All your base are belong to us! That is awesome, but I'm here. And this is a great one. 
I haven't seen this, but apparently it's on the screen when it starts up. Violator and subject to severe penalties and will be prosecuted to the full extent of the jam. <laughs> Did you not know about that one? I've known about that for years. I didn't know that. Um, there's, there's an interesting article. Uh, it was a, a post on the Arcade Otaku forums. Someone had, had put on there that statement, uh, you'll be prosecuted to the full extent of the jam. And in the picture of the band from the jam... <laughs> There's a That's picture like of Paul Weller on a scooter looking mean. It's really good. <laughs> Apparently, they reckon that this came from one guy that used to do the English exports, and he wasn't very good at They're hilarious. Yeah, the full extent of the jam. So that that's what that comes from. Excellent. They're blaming one guy. They don't even name him. But this poor guy probably didn't do it. But, but it's it hilarious. It just yeah. adds to the, uh, yeah. the brilliance of the game. Oh, your base I belong to us. And mind that hot jam. Yeah. Right, this was ported to the Mega Drive, as I said, I enjoyed it. Right, we're talking about the ports that they did now. Yeah. They only did Mega Drive ones themselves. All the rest, they shopped out to other people. They did their own Mega Drive versions because the hardware is very similar to the hardware they were using. Ah, I was thinking that when I looked at that last picture, I thought, that's a Mega Drive game any day of the week. Yeah, Yeah, very similar hardware, yeah. With the Mega Drive, the CPU was the same 68,000 architecture, so we thought we could make these ports in our spare time. They just cobbled them together. Yeah, just really. in the spare time. You know, if you've got five minutes, just knock up a Mega Drive game for us, will you? Yeah, no they're really, I think they really were arcade fascists. They're just showing off now, aren't they? They just loved arcade. Everything else was inferior, which Absolutely. obviously is correct. Yes, yeah, yes, definitely. Very correct. What they did, you just moved moved the screen over and cut it so it would fit on the horizontal TV. Well, okay. It's noticeable if you look at two screens, you can see a lot less of the screen on Truxton on Mega Drive oh. than you can on the vertical monitor arcade monitor yeah that makes sense yeah. yeah to put it simply there was no technique we just made the screen smaller since it was only our spare time that was the best we could do cobble it together <laughs> yeah. but it's a great port truxton absolutely it's really good yeah yeah and uh, zero wing the console ports were not part of toa plan's business plan you see but they did a load of others which other companies helped them with there's quite a lot there's tiger heli was on the nares that went up uh, uh, PlayStation even on the shooting battle compilation. Okay. Flying Shark was on the Amiga, Commodore 64, Spectrum, Amstrad, Atari ST, IBM PC, and the Japanese computer, the FM Towns. I imagine the Amiga and the ST and FM Towns would have had similar 68,000 processing, so that was probably an easy port. Yeah. And they're, they're very accurate as well. I've seen those ports. They're really good. Twin really? Cobra came out on loads as well. It also went on the X68000, which I had to look up, which is another Japanese computer. Yeah, from the nut- popular uh, game for these shoot 'em ups actually. Yeah. Quite collectible nowadays as well, the X68000. Fire, Shark, Grindstormer, Hellfire, all had different versions. Yeah. Quite a few PC Engine versions they did. And they are awesome. I've got some of those. They're yeah. really good. Really good. Uh, FM Town had a few. Turbographic CD, which is the PC Engine CD. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so loads they did at the overall, really. Well, had the Toplan name on. And they also was a publisher for one game. Oh, okay. Compiles famous Musha Aleste yeah. Mega Drive shooter. They published that in Japan for oh, Compile. Okay. They sort of moved over a little bit. Yeah, cool. Mm. Next one, November 89, Fire Shark, called Same 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 in Japan. When I saw the notes for this, I thought it was just same, same, same. Yeah, yeah we're just doing another shooter when they are. Same is Shark. Ah. Shark, shark, shark. Exclamation oh. mark. Yeah, shark, shark, shark. Now it's got a huge flame weapon. Huge 
Flame. Flame, like the like the blue laser from Truxton. Yeah. They wanted to emulate that some way, so they used a, a, a big fire laser. Not completely copy it. Cool effects, though. It moves left and right as your ship moves. Quite oh, nice. Movie. I like I like those sixteen bit effects. I really like those. It's massive bullets. Massive. Ooge. Next game, January nineteen ninety. Demon's World Horror Story. Yeah, it's called Horror Story. In Japan. I had a go with this. It's a funny little game, isn't it? It's them taking the mick, I reckon. I don't like it. I don't like the graphics. It's quite slow. The graphics are really sort of odd, squashed, cartoony. Strange. Yeah. In fact, it's quite a slow game. And when the guy dies, when the guy jumps, there's like a double jump to do a higher jump. He's, he's got tiny little silly stumpy legs. Yeah. And his legs, he does like the splits in midair and it just looks like a kid's done it. Mm. I'm not sure what happened here. It wasn't the, the main guys, was it? That did no, this game? I think it was one of the other development teams. It's, he's not, sacking in. It's not got their style, has it? It's not a Toaplan style game. But some of the animations are quite funny in it. Because when you get... The guy's like, he's like a cool little guy with a, a blue jumpsuit and a pair of dark shades on. And when you get killed, his shades fall off. Which <laughs> I thought was quite a good little thing. That's one of the Toaplan games that isn't that expensive. I think it's not that good, to be honest with you. They asked you more about it, and all he said was, <laughs> it was polarising. The view of the game was polarising, mean people hated it, I think. Yeah, rubbish, he means. Yeah. It's just, it's a, that's a $20 word for rubbish. It's a run and gun thing. Run and gun, really. Yeah. A few platforms in it. Next game, I think, is decent. It's not a shooter, but it's very famous for them. It's a roll em up. Yeah. You just invented a new I genre. I did, eh? That's eh? awesome. Roll them up. Snow Brothers, Nick and Tom. Nick and Tom just sounds like two, two geezers down the yeah, bar, doesn't it? Just should have called it. Just get, us a, get a pint for Nick and Tom, will you? Snow Brothers, Trevor and Dave. Yes. April 1990, this. Licensed to Romstar again. Yep. Probably their biggest non-shooter success. Yeah, this game's really popular. I don't like it much, but it's got a lot of good elements in it. The mm. graphics are really nice. The sound's really nice. It's basically bubble bubble with, with snowballs. Mm. You roll a snowball and then you lob it and it gathers up the bad guys and they pop, you know, and they go everywhere. And it's, it's a good little game, but it's just, I didn't never liked it. I think I owned it once and sold it yeah. quite cheap. It was in the very famous arcade club a few couple of months ago. Yeah. In a candy, so I played it there. That's, I liked that's it. where it should be housed, in a candy cab. Mm. Yeah. It was released... On the NES, very late in... Well, on the Famicom, really. Very yeah. late in, in its life. 1990, Famicom was on the way out. Yeah, but I, that's got to be a late game, because I wouldn't have thought the Famicom would have, would be able to keep up with those graphics and stuff, because there's a lot mm. going on there, and it's a nice-looking game as well. Yeah. Right, we're, we're up to my... I'd say this is my favourite at the minute game now. August 1990. I've played this a lot. Outzone. The rock-hard mega-outzone. It's not that hard. Oh, I think it is... It's this is really one difficult. I've learnt it. Mm-hmm. I've, as the guys have told me, these Japanese guys, I've had to learn the flipping thing to get through it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like Commando, really. You run up the screen. Yep. You've got two weapons that power up, nice and simple. You've got an auto-fire laser, and you've got a three-way shooting green bullet thing. Green bullets? Hmm. The, the laser, you can shoot in eight directions, which is very helpful. Yeah, you so can turn a, round, can't you, with it? Yeah. So Yuimura says... Outzone doesn't have force scrolling, so it didn't require the kind of special skills you need in a normal vertical shooter. In that regard, I think we achieved an easier game. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Outzone easy. Yeah, right. Oh, God, yeah. I My think Lord. it is slightly easier. No, it's not. But you learn it. I've learnt it. That's the it's, thing. It's like concrete nails. Yeah. With kryptonite internals. For the first time, right, 
they thought about a story for the game instead of just making the game and putting a story on. Yeah. Just getting the guy who's good at writing to put a story yeah. in that, were you? Okay. Yeah. Bad guys are attacking your helicopter, shoot them in the end. But they've put a story on this now because they, they, they needed it, I think. Yeah. For the game development. Right, I'm going to talk about game development. Mm-hmm. That was good, that, weren't it? Yeah. Another well segue. Let's talk about game development. Ah, yeah. Good idea. For better or for worse, we really were a development-centric company. Everyone, including management, really showed the developers a lot of consideration. This is the key to their success, I really think it is. We didn't have a sales division, and our relationship with Taito had been good ever since Gyrodine. We almost never made a game because they asked us to do it a certain way. Normally, planning documents are made by the developers to get permission from the company to make them, but that never happened. They mm. just made them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of freedom. Yeah. And obviously, our artistic license. We simply good. made what we wanted ourselves, so there was no need to present anything beforehand. The people selling our games wouldn't see them until they were done, so their opinions didn't factor in. Yeah. It was a good time, they thought. I bet it was. If you were a programmer back then, that'd been an awesome job to be in. Yeah. What, you mean I can just program what I want? Yeah, go on. We'll sell it. Don't worry. Okay. Right till the end of the company, it was just all of us submitting our various development documents. It was kind of like a competition. Just imagine them all round a business table saying, yeah, I've got one where where an idiot fires sandwiches. No, yeah, that's not good. Look at the size of my massive laser. <laughs> that one, yeah. We'll yeah, we'll have that. that in there. We'll do that one. More often than not, they'd bring an actual prototype to these meetings and just show it off. Yeah. So it became like quite a competitive thing. There was never any systematic organized method for it. It was just totally disorganized. It was just left up to the individuals. But we always knew what each other was working on because we were very small teams and we could see it all come together in real time. So when they decided on the game, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. We generally have two to three programmers and two to three designers per game. We then might add other people individually in the latter half of development. Oh, back in those days, two uh, to three designers. That's what yeah. you want, isn't it? We did follow the right person for the right place style of programming. When doing sequels for our SDGs, we found it more efficient to use the people that had done the originals because mm-hmm. they'd know what was going on and they'd be able to bring more knowledge to the table, they're saying. Absolutely. So they didn't even do any design documents for a start. Twin Cobra was the first one where they actually made some design documents. The others, they just sort of wrote down something on a piece of paper and said in the meeting, we're going to do this. On the back of a train ticket or something. Also, they worked differently with other companies in regard to system design and level design. They did them simultaneously. We never even thought of dividing it up like that, they said. Of course, the game system was roughed in first, but so were the enemies at the same time, and your ship's weapons. So as they were designing how the ship moved, they'd be putting all the stuff in. It wasn't that we thought consistency and balance would lead to an interesting game. It was more like we were trying to discover those moments in the game that would make you go, yes, this is cool. Once we found that, we'd expand on it and refine it. So they were just trying to find that bit of magic and then go with it. Ogiwara says, One thing that's different is that we don't clearly divide up the backgrounds, enemy designs, and other artwork among the individual people. It's more like everyone does a little, does a little bit of everything, and then we assemble it properly together. At Toa Plan, the programmers are the planners, but they don't give en- they don't give many detailed instructions as to us regarding the art, he's the artist. To a certain degree, we're free to draw what we want. Though this lack of communication sometimes causes us to make characters we shouldn't make or put guns and cannons on enemies that will never fire, 
it still works. I don't think our system would work in a game company today. We had a small staff and a small development model, and that allowed us to finish games in a short period. So we had that extra time at the end of the game for a bit of experimentation. Yeah, that's where they tweak the game and make yeah. it better, which is a good idea. You got your, you get your game, and it works, and it plays, but they try to tweak here or just adjust that there, make it a bit easier or harder or, you know, mm. put a bit in there, and that's what the tweaks, I think, make the game. Yeah, he's saying, at the time, we knew that other companies would do their planning beforehand, but we thought our games are interesting because we don't do that. Yeah. I think that's another key to their brilliant games, really. Right, we're up to now a very strange game. I, I like this. It's called Gox, G-H-O-X. It's different, isn't it? 1990. It's an Arkanoid thing. Yes. It's Arkanoid on steroids. Bat and ball game. But yeah. your bat can go up and down as well. Yeah. Another game licensed to Romstar. It's Arkanoid with more character and a medieval dungeon theme. This game typifies to me the toe plan attitude to game design. You take a game like the paddle and ball game, like mm. you break out, you give it unusual graphics, enhanced gameplay, you keep tweaking it, you add insane power-ups. There's one like like a pinball multi-ball happens. Yeah, but I've it's seen like, that. You get about 50 balls on yeah, the screen. Yeah, all over the place. You've got to try and keep them all on the screen. It's brilliant. Yeah. And it's a cool little Arkanoid game. Um, in main, there's two modes. There's a joystick and a spinner mode. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so perhaps there was joystick and spinner cabs. I've never seen them. Uh, yeah, um, I think a lot of their games were just kits, weren't they? They didn't come in a proper mm. machine. They're just programmers and board makers. And a lot of games, if they were played on a, ca- a cocktail cab, you know, certain cocktails would house spinner games. And yeah. then obviously they didn't have a spinner game. They'd have a joystick version, which is quite good for the, the operators. Right, we're up to 1991 now. Bear with us, kids. May 1991. Vimana. This is very nice. I like this game. I want to get more into this. Looks lovely as well. Really nice looking game. Cool shooter. It's got a charge shot, right? You keep your finger on the fibre and then the glowing green glow appears around you, forms into bullets, and then sprays off in about six directions. All forward directions. Yeah. Or you can just fire the bejesus out of things, shoot the bejesus. Mm. And you bomb, press it, and these spinning orbs appear around you. It's a lovely effect, then. And lovely. they're rotating around you, and then when a bad guy comes on the screen, they shoot off and hit the bad guy. Cool. So you're guaranteed to get six good hits on something. Yeah. Very good game. I need to give this one more time, I think. Right, next one. This is a, a company favourite of Toa Plans, but it didn't do that well. It's called Techie Packy. Yeah. It's a new game, the brainwashing game, in June 91. And it's like a Puyo Puyo thing, falling style block thing, but you've got to match five colours for them to disappear before they disappear. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got a few power-ups in it. Originally, the original design, there was going to have bullets on the screen as well. They love the bullets. Yeah, puzzles with bullets are always good. <laughs> but it, it was taken out probably for good uh, good reason, really. Yeah. I can't do this puzzle. I'll just shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be that'll, great. That'll sort it out. <laughs> Shooting puzzles. Yeah. Techie Packy was a big favourite among employees, and it's a little sad that it didn't sell that well, says Uemura. Towards the end of Toa Plan's run, when we moved to a bigger offices in Ogibuku, Ogi, Ogi Kubu, Ogi Kubu, Ogi Kubu. It's easy for you to say. It's not. We had a lot of space and even had a showroom. So there was a cab with this running in there and employees were always in the showroom playing it. So it's popular among the employees. Yeah, not always a good sales model, though, is it? When yeah. And we I, like it. Why I, doesn't I, anyone else like it? Because it's mm, a bit weird. 
talking of offices, they started in a w- little one-room apartment in Yoyogi. These are all in Tokyo, these districts. Yes. And then they moved to Shin- Shinjuku. Yes, I've been to both areas. Oh, ooh, They're well. lovely. Uh, in Shinjuku, they shared a building with a restaurant. Well, handy at lunchtime, I suppose. <laughs> when they tried to hire people at that point, they had adverts and they said people used to come for the interviews and see where the building was and the, the smelly restaurant smells and just walk off, not even, <laughs> not even go to the interview. I'm not working there. So they ended up in these offices in Oki, Okikubu. Okikubu. Yeah, that's it. Probably. So, yeah, they developed and eventually, by the 1992, they had a decent offices with a showroom. Next game. This is a bit weird, this one. Pippi and BBs, or it's called Whoopi. Whoopi! I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Excellent. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Two exclamation marks. Very different titles, because mm. Pippi and Bibby is the two guys you can play together, I take it. Yeah. That's your character names. Or Whoopi! Who knows? <laughs> yeah. um, I've seen this described online as elevator action meets Bonanza Brothers. That's what I said earlier, didn't it? Before mm. I even read this, I said, oh, it's a bit like elevator action. Yeah. You set bombs in the building and then you try and get out. Yes. That's it, basically. You've got a certain amount of time to get out of there, yeah. And you can stun the guys. Yep. Set your bombs, stun them again, run off. You've got to set the last bomb right near the exit so you don't get that much time to get out. Once yeah. the last bomb's set, the timer counts down. You've got to get out quickly. Yeah. Do you know the good thing? Filth? Yeah. After four levels, a beautiful anime lady tries to take clothes off for you again. I don't think that was needed in this game. It's no. a fun enough game as it is. It's strange, isn't it? It's a cute... It's got like a cartoonish kitty look yeah and then you get some anime the girls naked ladies yeah. I don't weird because you know the last time we spoke about um, adult themes in games yeah it's, I think usually those games were designed for adult areas like pubs and bars and clubs you know but this game definitely wouldn't have been in a club or a bar it's just no. a cartoony platformy fun game yeah and then they put that in here uh, eh mm. does not compute for my head not sure why this is another game that's licensed to Romstar for US distribution. Mm-hmm. Others are like Outzone, Snow Brothers, Fireshark, Vimana and Gox. I suspect it was Taito that subcontracted this to Romstar. Or Romstar might even be a division of Taito, are they? Maybe. I think they did a lot of games in the US, Romstar. Yeah. Yeah. Because Arkanoid is a Romstar game. That's Taito originally. Yeah, it must be. Romstar also licensed games from Capcom and SNK. Might be some, yeah, something to do with Titus, mm. maybe, or one maybe. of the others. Next game, this is the sequel to Outzone, which is, it just doesn't make it for me. It's not that good, I don't think. Fix 8. I thought it looked like Outzone when I played it the other day. Yeah. I thought, oh, this looks a bit like Outzone, but not as hard. Figuzito, Legend of Hell's Hero. I like that. Ooh. In Japan. July 92 now. Sequel to Outzone. First thing you notice is it doesn't have the deep, rich colours of Outzone. Yeah, it's quite washed out, isn't it? Outzone's quite dark with lots of bright colours. Eight playable characters. Oh, okay. Total Plan have done a story as well. They've had to flesh out a story behind these eight characters. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to have the impact of it. I haven't played it that much, so it might be alright. We might have to play it after this podcast, maybe. Mm. I've got it on the machine in the garage. Ah. Right, now we're up to October 92. We're up to the busiest development time and also the time where I think things start to go a little bit wrong for Toa yeah. Plan. This is an, another sequel. Mm, I think they've just, I think they expanded too quickly. We'll get into that. Truxton 2 Tatsujin O, October 92. 
awesome shooter. Had three weapons of varying power, a bomb, speed ups, and it also had auto fire. Awesome. This is when he first started the auto fire. Yeah, yeah. Outzone had it beforehand on one of the weapons, but this had it on all of them, I think. Okay. Which I, I like auto fire. I'm getting lazy. Do you now. think this might have been because when I went to Japan, I noticed that some of the cabinets, some of the games had auto fire fit, fitted to them. It isn't standard. You can actually buy or even make up if you're clever enough a little circuit that goes on your button underneath. It connects the button, which gives a pulse. When you hold the button down, it pulses to give you auto fire. Right. You know, you know they've got the little selectors on some of the, the joysticks to yeah. auto fire. They actually did that in arcade machines as well. So maybe the Japanese people would rather concentrate on the dodging and memorization rather than having to press the button at the same time. Mm, I they like just that, hold the button down. Uh, it, in the later games, it, you can do different things with it. Mm. So when, when, you, when you're holding that button down, you're moving quite quickly. When you want to sort of do some precise movements, you let go of the button and you can move in a more precise manner. Yeah. So you, it's a bit of, uh, you know, sort of judging what you've got to do with it. In the interview with Tatsua and Yuge, they apologise for the difficulty of this game. Yes. What do you think of uh, Tatsujino? Sorry, it's a bit difficult. We are sorry. Yes. I love the music on this. The level one music is just to stay in my head forever. I love it. And it's my favourite music of all Toaplan games. Um, talking to music, Wolf, he swooped into a new topic. Music, Straight in there. Like a speeding eagle thing, which he knows what it's on about. Might cut that bit out of it, what do you reckon? Well, eagles and music don't go well. They do. Hotel California. Awful. Right, here we are. You and Mora and Yuge wrote most of the game music, almost all of it, in fact. They're a talented pair, these mm, two, aren't they? Up to this point, anyway, and then you've got a couple more people. Yeah. Right, you and Mora's style was to play the level and get the feel of the thing and then write a track based around that. Oh, right. The other guy, Yuge, tried to match the music with the action more precisely, often thinking of the music as he designed the game. Yeah. So he was, a, he, he was a bit more integrated in his in his head. So Yuamora says, I wrote all the music at the very end, though I'd write one or two songs earlier for the location tests. I didn't write my music to be synced up so precisely. Getting the right feel was more important to me. Depending on the placement of certain enemies, though, I would try to get a chorus or hook of the song to generally align with that stage progression. It's one of those things you don't consciously realise until you think about it. Mm. You're doing a certain part of the level and you realise the music goes really well with it and it's done on purpose. Mm. You're not just, oh, I got to that part and that's where the music is. It was done on purpose. So Yuga's a bit more integrated with the, with the game plays, but if there's five stages in the game, you want the music to bring out each stage's personality and character. It was easiest to make the music with that image of the stage in mind. There were also times when I'd write certain melody or rhythm and then program the enemies to move according to the rhythm. Almost like a choreography. Yeah. Brilliant. So that's the two, the two of them sort of different styles, how they did it. But amazingly, Toa Plant as a company didn't put much emphasis on sound design and felt like it was something that they had to do in their spare time after the game's almost finished. Yeah. We were working on older hardware than other companies, and from a cost perspective, sound was an afterthought. I really wouldn't have thought that. No. I think that sounds amazing. Yeah. You were more composed on guitar. You get on piano and guitar. The early sound chips were really basic. They were called PSGs, Programmable Sound Generators. 
Uh, one of them was a General Instruments AY38910. That's my favourite sound chip. I like that one. It's good. A38910. The music had to be programmed, not written, and the sound drivers had to be changed if they needed effects like echoes in the, in the music. Yeah. So they wrote the drivers as they wrote the music. Flying Shark introduced FM sound chips, which were a lot better. A Yamaha YM3812. I like that one as well. That's an awesome sound That's chip. That's also my favourite sound chip. You got two, you can't have two favourites. You can't have as many sound chip favourites as I like, young man. There's two more coming out, yeah. I like them as well. You can immediately tell the sounds richer and better, yeah. I think. There's but, a lot of sort of uh, heavy guitar riffs, mm. which I like in those games. I think they go really well when you're shooting yeah. the heck out of stuff and you want to hear a heavy guitar in the background. By the time you get to Fix 8, the game Fix 8 in 92, they've got a better FM sound chip, a YM2151. That's not a bad sound chip. No, I don't like that one. Oh. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> They're my favourites. I've got loads. I've got a collection of them behind the glass case. Also with Fix 8, they introduced PCM sound chips so they could use actual sampled sounds, like percussion sounds and guitars yeah. and and people exploding and all that. Triangles. Yeah. I like, a, I like a good triangle, do you? Ting. Can we have an arcade ping? Where is it? Yay! <laughs> I can see the arcade ping because I'm here now. Right, what was it on about? Oh, yeah, PCM sounds. So you can have digitised samples of real instruments. This sound chip, OKI, Oki, 6295. What's your opinion on that oh, one? like an Oki. Oki, is it Oki? I think you can tell the PCM sounds, really, because they, they, it does bring out a certain character in the games. Yeah, turn it up. Yeah. Teleplan were behind on sound technology, as we mentioned earlier, on all technology, to be honest. Yeah, but it fits. It works really well. Why why fix it if it isn't broken, I'd yeah. say? So like Atari were using PCM sound chips in, in the game Pit Fighter in 1990. Yeah, but Pit Fighter's rubbish. Mm. It's total done. I've, some people like that, you know. They're mental. Yeah. They're banned. They're not allowed to listen anymore. Digitised graphics, weren't it? Rubbish. Yeah. Absolute poo. So when they made Grindstorm a tower plan in December 92, they were using up all them FM sound chips in 92. So they didn't put PCM sound in that game, and you can tell when you hear it. Yeah, frugal. I like that. Still a damn good tune, though, Grindstorm. Oh, God, yes. Right, Yuge now talks about what people recognise as a tower plan sound. It's that simple baseline sound. Yeah. For me, it was simply that our hardware didn't have much memory for music, so I couldn't really do complex phrases. Though it was true that when you hear the same rhythm over and over again, you sort of get brainwashed by it. That might be the core of the Toa Plan style right there, those repeating bass lines. That can be a good thing or a bad thing. Because mm. earlier on, you said about the game Jumping Jack, we were talking about it with Eric earlier, our friend who'd come down. You said, oh, that flipping game, that Jumping Jack music got on my head. And when you nip to the toilet, I just quickly put Jumping Jack on. Yeah. So you get it in your head again. But uh, some tunes you like to have in your head and you're whistling when you go to work and you think about them, but other tunes really annoy you and they get stuck in your head and you can't yeah. get the damn things out of there. Yuge says, after 91, I just wanted to focus on sound. This is where he pulls away from game development and just wow. goes into sound programming. Yeah. So that everything up to 91 was like him and Yumura must have been. I started to think doing sound and programming together was becoming too difficult. The hardware was getting better and better and I just couldn't keep up with both programming and sound yeah so i created a studio and that's where he holed up and did all his sounds cool on the sound effects which are also good the sound driver has to control the sound effects and how the music are layered so i'd write both at the same time 
I have the same affection for the sound effects as I do for the songs, and now thanks to the songs sounds being on CD, they were on that Toa Plan Shooting Chronicle box set. Oh, awesome. That's yeah. the greatest thing I've ever I saw. Mm. They can be used in other formats. Even today, this is in 2011, is saying this, some of Toa Plan's sound effects are used for TV shows. Must be in Japan. Wow. And that makes me really proud. So, yeah, this box set, it was a six-CD box set called T- Shooting Chronicle. So Yuge was pleased that fans got to a chance to hear some of the tracks because you did, if you didn't get to level five, you're never going to hear the level five track, are you? No, that isn't going to happen with the game about me. With that actual box set, there's also a 700-page PDF file, which I've seen. I think you should buy that. Hmm, 70 quid, I think. It's all right. Yeah. Buy yourself, treat yourself. I think you should. You have been told. Oh, right, okay. We're not going out for a meal next week, wife. Yeah, I'm going to buy this Chronicles sound <laughs> thing. Chronicle, yeah. It's just a CD. Now, that PDF file has got lots of like design documents and drawings. That'd be it. interesting. Really, it is really good. Other musicians, right? There's a couple of others. Osama Ota, he did Twin Hawk. Toshiaki Tomizawa did Zero Wing and Vimana. And Yoshitatsu Sakai did Batsugan. Mm-hmm. Right, now we're getting to the one... October 92, Doggy Yoon. Favourite of yours, that one. Doggy Yoon! Doggy Yoon! That's, can- that's Kanji again. That's They just liked that sound, Doggy Yoon. So they called, I think one of the robots or some sound in the game is Doggy Yoon. So they used it as a title. Yeah, cool. Mm. Best graphics ever, this. Ever! In Toa Plan, I think. This game illustrates the way Toa Plan increasingly inflated the ship weapons and power. There's some visually impressive bullets here. Purple and red homing lasers, giant green lightning lasers, and large blue bullets. I've been playing this at the arcade club as well. Yeah. Is this the official birth of bullet hell, do you think? It's getting there, isn't it? Because they started making the bullets a very bright colour, so you didn't get killed when you... You get killed without noticing it, because the, the, the bullets are blending into the background. When they're making bright pink and bright green... It's a bit fairer, mm. I think. I like, I like to see a bright bullet so you don't get hit and you think, you know, what, what hit me? Yeah. Great graphics. This is the first game that John Inui, Joker John Inui, he's called, uh, he worked on this and now he's like a cave legend and he's worked on Dodon Patchy, Death Smiles, quite a few others. Mm. But Uemura says, for this title, our goal was to make a game with the best graphics we had ever done in a Toa plan from a design and not technical standpoint. People have pointed out that our past games were a little weak in graphics. Maybe... They really weren't. They six, were awesome. Six, eight, Demon's World, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Simple, those ones. Yeah. The stage two boss in Doggy Yoon is representative of our efforts. We spent a lot of time animating the big bosses like that, and I think we succeeded in making something with a lot of visual impact. However, because we made graphics the top priority, the actual gameplay was kind of unimaginative. It's not as imaginative as, say, Truxton. No. And then it goes on about the title Doggy Yoon is Kanji for the sound the giant robot makes in the game's bonus stage. That guy, they were originally going to make him as the main character. We wanted players to experience the thrill of destroying everything in a giant robot. He'd probably just shoot his arms off and his yeah. legs off. But it just didn't work. So they, they put him right in the final scene. Oh, okay. in, in the final scene, the last boss or something. So a lot of people would never even see him. Yeah. Even though he's on the title screen. Ah, okay. So the, boss, the final boss is on the title screen, and a lot of people said, who's that boss? <laughs> Next game, game 407 out of 492. We're getting there. Getting there, mate. Grindstormer. It's also called V5 or VV. December 92. Designed by the last new team to enter the company. 
bringing in loads of new teams, games flying out. Yeah. 91, 92, loads of games. Yes. Pretty pro- prolific. Brainstormer V5 play differently. I don't know if you've seen this. They've got different title screens, I noticed. Yeah. V5 is a Gradius-style weapon system, right? Yeah. Like Alcon, Slap Fight. And, you, you, you know, you collect power-ups and you can select one, like Speed Up and Bullets. Yeah. Grindstormer replaces the power-up bar along the bottom of the screen with just a bomb bar. counts the bombs. Oh. And then you can pick up the power-ups, which is it's easier, really. I did not know this, because when I put Grindstormer on the cab earlier to play it, I didn't bother putting V5. I've got separate ROMs for these games. Yeah. But I didn't bother because I thought it was just another another territory name for it. Mm, but so, it's interesting. Wow. Yeah, so Grindstormer, like the, the Western release, is easy because you get the bombs. You don't get the bombs with the other one. Ah, okay. Wow. Very different. Yeah, I prefer it, actually, the, the Grindstormer, because yeah. it's easy, I suppose. Another nice graphics, colourful body, uh, colourful bodies. They've got very colourful bodies. Yeah, the baddies have got bodies and they're colourful. Yeah, orange, green, pink, <laughs> blue. Cave legend Suniki Akida worked on this game. And he's worked on oh, Akai Katana, Def- Dodonpachi, Death Smiles, Escaluda 2. He's worked on those cave yeah, legend, legendary games. games. Yeah, so where he he's, came from. He says he learned a lot from the experience of this as his first game. Right, this is the game, I think. Well, this, like, and the previous one where they're slightly moving towards bullet hell. It's getting there, isn't it? You can tell. Yeah. Aikida in a 1993 interview says, It has auto fire. Also, until now, Toa Plan STGs have had fast enemy bullets, but this time we slowed down the bullet speed but increased the on-screen bullet count. Yeah. So you can enjoy the thrill of dodging and the sensation of rapid fire. Yeah. You've got, you don't have to worry about hammering the fire button. You've got to, Guide yourself through those billions of bullets on screen. Bullet curtain games, they used to call them as well. Yeah, so that this Dan Maku in Japan. Ah, okay. Dan Maku. So this last team that's come in, they've got new ideas from the early team where that you just you move slowly and dodge stuff and work out a strategy. Yeah. These just plough the screen with bullets and you, you pick your way through different game styles from the same. Did they start on these games as well, giving you a hitbox? Like a lot of cave games nowadays do. Not until Batsugan. Ah, we'll get on to that. Okay. Iwabuchi, another guy, another designer. We plan to continue to release arcade STG games that both preserve Toa Plan's signature style, the previous style, while also bringing something new to the genre for both new and old players. I think the way people enjoy STGs is changing. This is from the 1993 interview when they're promoting this game. Yeah. Or oh, 92, maybe. We want to pursue those changes, and while we don't intend to stick only to vertical shooting, we want to continue to make truly fun games that can be called top-tier STGs. Mm. Right, Toa Plan go a bit wonky again here. Yes, they do. I've played this game. It's rubbish. They're just getting their shooting style together, and they go and release a beat-em-up because they're told to by the management Management. Why do management get involved with, uh, with the with the creative people? Management? No. Stay out. It's called Knuckle Bash. Oh, it's awful. And you've got some kind of Elvis Elvis impersonator beating the hell out of some other people in a parking lot by the of it for first level. It's awful. It's it's the the biggest homo nothing wrong with homoerotic games. <laughs> but they just seem a bit weird on a game. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, and it's, I think the title screen is a big burly chest. Yeah. That's all it is. Just see a bit of a burly chest. Yeah. You can you, you can play as an Elvis impersonator, a boxer, a ninja, a wrestler, an American football player. Well, those kind of guys hang out together a lot, don't they? Yeah. It's yeah. got a lot of love on YouTube. This the comments are funny. 
some guys put, this has got to be one of the campest brawlers I've ever seen. Yeah, a man having a fight with a cape is quite camp. It is, yeah. Yurimura says, when the company told us to make a fighting game, we tried making one and we created Knuckle Bash. I wasn't involved personally, but we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. I thought we had better stop. At least they were honest, which is good. I like yeah. that. I like honesty. It was supposed to be like Street Fighter 2 and turned out nothing like it. I think when the popularity of Street Fighter 2, when that hit, everyone jumped on the, the fighting bandwagon. Yeah. Make a fighter, make a fighter, make a fighter. Uh, no, we do shooters. No, make a fighter. All right, then. Have knuckle bash. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks. They, they, That's I nearly ruined us. Thank you very much. They struggled with that. They didn't know what they were doing. There was a, a bootleg of it in 1999 called Knuckle Bash 2, but I think it just mixes up the order of the levels. Putting a 2 on the end does not help that no. game at all, does it? No. You cannot polish a turd, sir. It is. It's all right. And if you try, you will get covered in poo. Ooh. You can play this, and then you play Final Fight, and you think, no, it's a bit crap, actually. Yes. Knucklebash is yeah. a bit crap. Absolutely. Right, this. I'm not sure if Knucklebash or Batsugan was the final game they officially released. Yeah. But I'm going to go with Batsugan. I say Batsugan. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, go on, then. Batsugan. Mm, thank you, yeah. Batsugan. I'll put in capitals here, Bullet Hell is Born. Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good sample. I could put that in. Or just leave that. And put some echo on that. Or you can just tell me about it for a bit longer. <laughs> yeah, could do. That, we're rambling on for it's me rambling on. Do Bullet Hell is Born again. Bullet Hell is Born. The first non-endless Toa Plan game. You know what I mean? Non-endless. It actually has a finish. Yes. When you... The other ones... It, it, they just carry on from level yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Sure. A beautiful game. Excellent weapons. Great music. I love this game. It's very popular still. Both Aikida and Inui worked on this game. Right, I'm going to read a bit here from Hardcore Gaming 101 site because they've just they've put it in a nutshell, yes. this game. Batsugun is arguably the earliest manic shooter and is one of the first games to introduce and define many of the sub-genre's core elements. The biggest aspects they introduced are the practice of filling the screen with over 100 bullets at once as well as shrinking the hitbox to accommodate the massive amount of fire. It also uses human characters as pilots, which has now become the standard practice in many shooters. Batsugan contains an experience point system where each enemy is worth a set amount of experience, with bosses worth 100 points while smaller enemies are only worth around 3. Oh. Once enough experience is collected, your ship levels up. There are three power levels, and once you level up to maximum power, you get a screen-clearing bomb. Oh, Instead okay. of just keep powering up, you get a bomb. So there's a lot of sort of tropes of the bullet hell were introduced there, like the, the well, I think the experience system changed into the chaining system, where yeah. in cave games you can chain hits together, almost like Street Fighter combos. Yeah, and the the hitbox, very important. Because say say on the screen, doesn't matter how big your monitor is, say your, your ship, your character, whatever, is an inch and a half long, and you've got 100 bullets on the screen, you can't really miss a bullet with an inch and a half sprite. But in that inch and a half sprite, the only bit that will kill you is about a quarter of an inch piece in the middle of the ship. Usually yeah. it's a different colour and you can see it. So if a bullet scrapes the side of your ship, you'll survive. But if it hits the hitbox, you've had it. And it's very good. And it, it's more like real life, I suppose. Mm. You know, it's like, it's like when your character gets touched by one pixel, you're dead. It wouldn't happen. Yeah. You know, you just, you just carry on. But in this game, you, you're allowed a bit of leniency there. Mm. Which is good, I think. You need it in that game, otherwise you just wouldn't be able to do it. It'd be impossible. And those games certainly aren't impossible. 
they made a special edition of that as well, which made the gameplay a little bit easier mm. as well. For us Westerns, probably. Yeah. Right, this this is the final game that they did to completion. They finished it, but they never released it because they went bankrupt before. Oh, I see. I Snow Brothers that. 2. With new elves. Snow Brothers 2 with new elves. None of them rubbish old elves. New no, ones. New elves. Oh, Tenki Paradise in Japan. April 94 was released by a company called Hanafram. So they went bankrupt before they made this, so Hanafram picked it up. It retains the same gameplay as Snow Brothers 1. Yes. But you can you don't just get snowballs. The four characters you pick, one of them has like, they look like bogeys. Oh, okay. You, you make bogey balls. Nice. Mm, looks like it. Yeah. Maybe not. Shouldn't be, really. Anyway, yeah. So it, it's a lovely looking, decent game. It does look really bright and fun. Right, last game I'm going to talk about in this section. I was looking for this, and I've soon realised now why I couldn't find it. <laughs> Enema Dale. 1993 game. It's not really an, ar- an arcade game, really. Ah. It is a lie detector game, right? Oh, really? Mm. Did they wonder why they were going bust? <laughs> making a lie detector game rather than one of their awesome shooters? Mental, isn't it? Stick to what you know, Tower Plan. From the Gaming Guy forums, Enmadeu is a comedic lie detector game in a dedicated cab where you answer a bunch of yes-no questions and in the end the machine dispenses a strange business card. How funny. In 93, this is. This is weird. Weird. The business card sets actually show up on Yahoo pretty often, and the Japanese site you link to says the standard version cab has appeared in auction as well. This is from the forum in about 2011, I think. Wow. So you could pick these cards up, so the machine definitely existed. It, it really does not surprise me they went bust, because they did a rubbish fighter, you know, with Knuckle Bash. And then they thought, oh, we do all these really good hit games with these, you know, Snow Brothers and, and the shooters and that. What should we do now? I know, what about a dedicated lie detector game? <laughs> Mad. What they should have done at that point is said to that person, you're fired, get yeah. out. And maybe they would still be around today. Yeah. Right, the last known appearance of Toa Plan, they were exhibiting batsugan special edition in the 1994 tokyo aou show amusement operators union show now i've checked up and these were normally in february yeah so i think february 94 was the last time that was it tower plan existed yeah dun 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 Mm. so batsugan special edition had an even smaller hitbox um it's, it's a bit revamped oh okay after this, they filed for bankruptcy, right? So I've got six reasons that I think they failed. Oh, okay. They went bankrupt. Your opinion. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bit nicked off other people. Okay. Yeah. The failure of the non-shooting games, that's the obvious one. If you put Toa Plan name on a shooting game, it would sell. But we also put weird stuff out. This is you and Maura. Yeah, that's we what I just said a minute ago. Yeah. We also put weird stuff out like Knuckle Bash and Enmadou. Enmadou actually costs a lot of money. All of those non-shooting titles failed. Yeah, because when they made a program, a game, on a PCB, obviously it costs the money to get the PCB manufactured, but they haven't got to get another company again to make a cabinet and then transport that cabinet. Rather than just put it in a box and send it to an arcade operator, they needed a truck to take it there. And obviously when you've dedicated hardware as well, and you've got to sell spares and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, they should have just kept to what they knew. It's a downfall of a lot of companies. They're trying to expand a bit too far, and it just doesn't work. Second reason, I think, the decline of the arcade scene in general. 
in 93 and the fact that only the fighters seem to be making big money. Yep, Street Fighter gets blamed for a lot of this. Mm. Whether it's true or not in people's minds, I don't know, but it does get blamed for a lot of this. And there were huge cabs coming out at this time, weren't there? There were huge races and stuff. And yes. And also, the company's focus on making exactly what they wanted to make rather than doing any market research and developing games relevant to the current trends. Uemura said... Since it was a development company from the start, we were able to make the games we wanted. In that sense, it was incredibly fun, though it might be why we went bankrupt. Mm. Unlike now, back then we didn't do things like market research, and we didn't really try to appeal to what fans wanted. It was a good time, is but Yeah. Well, Creative just, people are like that. They don't yeah. care what the trends are. They do what they like doing, and they do a good job of it. Yeah. But it's only now we're going back to those things. Mm. So they obviously had the appeal, and they still do nowadays. It's a sign of good quality. Yeah. Another reason may be the difficulty level of the games may have turned off the casual gamers. That he said we hung ourselves with our own rope in the earlier answer. Yeah, that's fair play. Yeah, fair comment there. Another reason may be unfinished games and projects which took up a lot of time and capital. He's put there were many of these, but almost none of the games I worked on. Yeah. At the beginning, when we were making Get Star, the Guardian thing, we were also making an action game on Sega's Pitfall System 1 board, and that was scrapped. Oh, right, what a there, shame. There were many like that. There, were, there was another one called Tai Chi, I think, as well. Yeah. Right, this is when we what I mentioned earlier, the informal party atmosphere at the company could have been a reason why they went bankrupt. Listen to some of this. In those early Toepan days, it was the kind of company where someone was needing bandages almost every day. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> this surprised me a bit. Like, you'd think Japanese has been very prim and proper. Yeah, but the, the creative types, yeah. or the nutters, as I like to call them, yeah. they are different opinions, I think. That kind of vigour had probably been there since Orca. The meetings were out of control. We were more like a fan club than a company. We had too many wild hotheads. At a company trip, all the men were jumping into the river stark naked. That kind of thing was an everyday occurrence. You don't think of programmers doing that, do you? No, no. At Toaplan, everyone had to be restrained. When Toaplan was making a profit, we'd go out drinking six nights a week. Yeah, that was almost normal for Japanese to do. I only got about two hours of sleep a night for a year. That's you guess saying that. It's true, we really drank a lot. It was always like, well, we'll go for a drink when we were stuck. It was good to rest our brains and do something else. It might be hard for people working at companies nowadays to understand, but back then we'd often go to billiards or bowling or go and see a movie, all during work hours. Yes. I know. That's that's just naughty. Yeah. Bad tower plan. That being said, the culture of the company may be precisely why the games were so good. Mm-hmm. Inui says, The general atmosphere at Toa Plan was pretty much anything is possible, symbolising the booming economy in Japan at the time. It's 92 when he joined. Yeah. We often did crazy things. New staff would have to perform some party trick during a year-end party each year. But if the trick was boring, the older staff would use a fire extinguisher on them. That's harsh. <laughs> a bunch of us would go to a restaurant and compete with each other to see who would be the first to finish all of the al- almond jello. The winner would then throw up the almond jello and leave the restaurant. Oh, my God. I have to admit that, that we behaved pretty badly whenever alcohol was involved. That is just bad bean. Mm. That's not good. This is Yuge. We set deadlines ourselves, but if we gave ourselves too much time, it would be embarrassing to us as programmers. Everyone felt that way. Also, whether we were screwing around eating or sleeping, we also th- we thought about the games first. 
So even though they're mucking around a lot, yeah. they set themselves deadlines and they kept to them. That's six months development cycle. That is that is a lot to get through. Getting a game done in six months and muck about like that. Mm. That's a, that's busy. I know. That's, <laughs> a busy, that's a busy working week. <laughs> Each person did their work with amazing attention to detail and, and was responsible for completing their own work. So they let us get away with a lot. It was a lot of fun. I think the Terraplan era was awesome. That's Yamora. Yeah. It sounds a cool place to work, doesn't it? Yeah. I wouldn't mind a bit of that myself. The relationship between junior and senior employees was also great. There was no one who didn't want to go on drinking parties or company trips. There was a sense of harmony and it was a really pleasant environment. It is really a shame it had to end. At a typical company, your stress level just builds. But with us, everyone felt felt like you were just looking out for each other. Being a one big family. Mm. Right, unreleased games. Tai Chi, that one I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Some crazy shooting game where two kids were walking around shooting bullets out of their heads. It was something I made at Orca, this is Yumora, during my new recruit research and remade at Crux. There wasn't even a location test, so it's unfortunately one of those games that never saw the light of day. Mm. Right, there's a couple of games that got to the actual testing that shows. One was called Dynamic Trial 7. Okay. Which is like an overhead racing game. Oh, right. They did a racer as well. Like Sega's Hot Rod, really. Oh. But it had joystick. didn't have steering wheel. Yeah, that probably ruined it then. Yeah. It didn't do so well at, at shows, so it was never released. There's a flyer there. We're like, actually, I'll put links in for everything I've found, by the way. Okay. All the interviews, all the flyers, a lot. Yeah, there's a flyer there with the power-ups and everything explains. It must have been finished, really. Or almost. Right, another one, which they very nearly did, was called Genkai Chaozen Dystopia. And that's that was another game, like Horror Story, a run and gun. Mm-hmm. And there's someone somewhere has grabbed four screenshots of the game. Ah, so it must be around somewhere, though. Yeah. Are any of these games that were unfinished appeared on MAME at all? Mm. The ROMs turned up? No. Oh, that's a shame. Mm. I'd like to have a look at these. And Techie Packy 2, a sequel to the popular in-house game, was rumoured to be in early development. Very... That's only because they wanted to do it. Yeah. They very... wanted something for their foyer to play in. And I've also found a game in MAME called Power Kick, November 94, by a company called Sunwise. It's dumped in MAME and runs off the Terraplan hardware, and it, it's got a Terraplan look to it, I think. Yeah. It's a, it's a football penalty shooting redemption game. All oh, right. Kick the ball into something into to get someone out of it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure. It's on a couple of websites, it's mentioned as a Terraplan game. Yeah. Right, we'll round off with what happened next. Terraplan personnel helped found four new shooter-centric game development companies. That's easy for me to say. It is. Mm. Gazelle. Yep. Takumi. Eating. Would you say eating or eating? Eating. Eating and rising. Is that rising? Rising, or rising? yeah. And also cave. The mighty cave. The mighty, mighty cave. Right. Gazelle. Tatsuya Yumura. Junya Inui. Mikoi Yamaguchi. Kanio Uhiru. And Yoshitatsu Sakai formed Gazelle. And they released Air Galay. Right. Takumi. Masahiro Yuge and Sane Nito, along with several other new hires, created Kuya Kuyo Tiger 2, which is Twin Cobra 2, mm-hmm. and they released that through Taito as Takumi, and they worked on Giga Wing and Mars Matrix as well. Yuge left Takumi after that. Yeah, they're good games. Mm. Mars Matrix is good, isn't it? Not playing, really played that one. Playing that the other week. Oh, cool. Very Look. good graphics. It looks like uh, rendered Right, Eating and Rising. 
Eighteen was the sales and distribution, and Rising was the development. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, kind same of same company. company just really, two names, the same company. When Yumura left Gazelle, he he joined these and he did the sound programming for Battle Back Raid and and assisted on the Great Mahu Daisakuzen. Yuge, he worked from as well. But Rising continued to use Toa Plan version two hardware right up until nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. So they did Mahu Daisakuzen, which was Saucer Striker, we got that as, along with Battle Garega, Armed Police Batrider, which is a really good shooter. Yes. And Battle Backred was the last one released in 99. So the Toa Plan hardware may have been out of date, but it were good. It kept going for yeah. you know, a good five years on old hardware. That's a long, long time. And then there's this company called Cave. A tiny company called Cave. No, Nobody's not, heard of them. I'm not going to bother with them. Kenichi Takano. One of the founders of Toa Plan founded Cave, along with Tsuniki Aikida, Naoki Ogiwara, Toshiaki Tomizawa, and a few other guys. They created Donpachi for a start, which I haven't played a lot. I've played Dodonpachi and all the others. I've not played Donpachi so good, much. It's a good game. It's a nice shooter. And after Gazelle collapsed, Junya Inui also came over to Cave. And, oh, they've done excellent games, the, haven't they? Just yes. got the best programmers out of all the different companies come to this one super company. Esperade, Fever SOS, Pro Gear, Ketsui, Ibarra, Death Smiles, Mushime Sama, Escaluda, Akai Katana, which I've still never played. Have you played Akai Katana? No, I don't think I have, actually. It's uh, a horizontal, that. Oh, okay. No, I've not played it. Another one they did, I think you mentioned in there, is um, Goanga. Mm. That's a really cool game. The graphics are amazing, like old medieval Japanese type yeah. graphics. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's an amazing game. Loads of blood everywhere in it as well. You're not a spaceship or, or a plane, whatever, you're a person. Mm. And it's all got to do with a lot of supernatural stuff and, and monsters and ghosts. It's a really, really cool game. Love yeah. the graphics on that game. Really like it a lot. One of the most iconic tributes to Toa Plan is the inclusion of Pipiru, their, their little mascot, at the end of the first Donpachi game. All right, nice. Shortly after clearing the final boss on the second loop, yeah. the ships from Donpachi fly through the sky to celebrate their victory. Pipiru somehow attached itself to the red ship and falls off screaming. <laughs> I love it when they put little bits in. Yeah. You know, they have callbacks to their old days. I love stuff like that. And only people who were into those games would get it, you know, mm. or, or nerds like us who've researched it. Yeah. Madness. Um, a couple of the other guys, they went to work at Tamsoft, uh, making Toshinden series. Square, working on Final Fantasy series. Wow, they've all come from this one, one company, yeah. haven't they? Some guy went to work on the Puzzle Wobble games. Yeah, they split up and did lots of good stuff. They did. Right, one more thing on the copyrights. It's like, who owns the copyrights of the Toa Plan games? And it's you not might... me. I'm not, I don't own No, no. Yumura says, it's a grey area even now. It seems that the CEO made a couple of gentlemen's agreements. He said that some of them were sold to Gazelle and Ating, but it's unknown whether they went through a legal procedure or not, because uh, they did... Oh, right. And Takumi did Twin Cobra 2, so they must have got some copyright for that. Yeah. The game industry was a very different beast back then. The game industry was very generous. Toa Plan didn't even own the trademark, so when Takumi put out Kuyo Kuyo Tiger 2... They bought the original trademark, and they th- I think they might have acquired Tatsujin as well. Mm. Right, yeah, that the- wouldn't that wouldn't happen nowadays, would it? No, a gentleman's agreement. It's not legally binding. I think you'll find. I think they were, yeah, they didn't really copyright much or trademark much. So. Mm. Right, the final word. This is the final bit now. Honestly, it's the final words yeah. down. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know which guy's talking, actually. Yumura or Yuge, but he's put, What was Teleplan to me? What was it indeed? It was my second youth. Maybe so. It was truly a fun time in my life working there. The other employees all say the same thing about how fun it was back then. It was a rare thing for a game development company, I think. I can't really express in words what Toaplan was to me, though. It had a special place in my memory. He didn't quite say it. He didn't say it in that northern accent, did he? Special place in memory. Yumura says, We are simply very grateful. We are unbelievably lucky as developers to have been able to do the things we wanted and have people enjoy them so long after. I think it's usually the reverse. As time goes on, you see how stale and uninspired your work was. So to see this space where people are talking about our games even today is practically unbelievable for me. I can really only express my gratefulness. Thank you very much. It's nice. And the final word from you, Geh. I feel exactly the same way and it makes me happy. At the time we had no idea our games would turn out like this and we were just doing what we loved. I'm happy we were able to do that and to the people who still remember our work today, I bow my head in thanks. Yeah, it's nice. Mm. They, they, it's amazing how many different developers and what happened to different companies came from Toaplat. It's, it's just a melting pot for these amazingly creative people who made these great games. Uh, and due to MAME and stuff and collecting, we can still play these days. Mm. And obviously on the on the newer consoles, they're emulating stuff and that. And they're great. They're great games. Yeah. Yeah, so that concludes the Tower Plan special. I've tried um, to cover everything in there, that how they made the games and their in- influences. and Yeah, and the next one you're doing next week is yeah. Cave, yeah? Cave. That small... <laughs> This is talking about three months, eh? Well, I'll task you with Cave next. No, I'll tell okay. you what, you can do Taito next. Yeah. Do that one. Yeah, they're not bad, are they? I, I, I do like doing the specials. They do take a lot of a lot of uh, research, though, and in between doing the other podcast every two weeks and editing and working and playing and doing normal things like working for a living and building stuff, yeah. uh, it, it takes a lot of time up, but ultimately I think they're worth it, and mm-hmm. we will do different specials. Maybe listeners might want to... Ask us which which ones we should do, perhaps. Mm. I think <coughs> Cave. Yeah. I think I think Atari's gotta be on the list. And Taito. Atari's a very well known story now, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Namco, that's another good mm. one. Oh yeah, Namco, yeah. Good games, good games. <laughs> Bruce Forsyth does Namco. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> <I'm alive. laughs> so, that's yeah, about yeah. it, I think. Thanks for listening to all that. All that waffle we just done. All that waffle, listeners. Thank you. Yes, thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye. You can download or play the podcast, read all the show notes, and leave feedback at www.10pencearcade.co.uk. You can email me at vertvic at 10pencearcade.co.uk. You can also reach us on our Facebook page. You can tweet me at 10 and you can tweet Sean at Sean Holly. We'd love to hear from you. For game suggestions, arcade pickups and stories, or any of your personal thoughts on anything we may have covered.